Right. So our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 2. Um, the entire scripture reading is actually verses 1 through 41, but because that's kind of long, I'm only going to read um, a few excerpts um, that will uh, be the focus of Pastor Jack's sermon. So the first excerpt is going to be um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So I'll read that first. When the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each, that we hear each of us in our, in his own native language? All right, so now we're gonna skip to the next excerpt. I'll give you a second to turn there. So that's gonna be uh, verses 11 through 13. Acts chapter two, verses 11 through 13. Okay, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. And now for our third excerpt, we're gonna be skipping to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this is Jesus delivered up according to the definite plans and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwell my, my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You'll make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of, G of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that of which, and that, and that, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ and Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. So at this time, we're going to turn it over to Pastor Jeff, um, who will be preaching. Good morning, friends. Wish I could see you in person, but that day is coming. Have faith. My wife and I have a beautiful, adorable 18-pound miniature schnauzer named Hildy, short for Hildegard. And she loves outdoor activities. Her favorite outdoor activity is disc golf. She has her own disc and she carries it along as we go from hole to hole. And Hildy loves being put on the leash because that in her dog mind indicates uh, outdoor activity. But you know what she loves even more than going on the leash? Getting off the leash because then she's off the leash and she can roam and run and tear around um, to her heart's content. Uh, playing disc golf or whatever the case may be. Our series is called The Church Unleashed. And here in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see <laughs> the Holy Spirit come with power and ready to send the church tearing around. We see the formation of the church, the expansion, the growth, the power of the Holy Spirit in bringing that about. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look into your holy and inspired word, open our hearts and minds, teach us, form us, help us to be the church unleashed because this is the program you started so long ago. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as if we were making a movie out of this longish uh, chapter, chapter two, let's let the scene develop before us. It fades slowly from black, and the camera shows us the setting, shows us where we're located, and where are we? We are in the city of Jerusalem, first century. It is crowded. It has tawny colored buildings and walls and some tile roofs and some thatched roofs. And the camera goes around the city. And what do we see? It zooms in on the crowds because it's very crowded, uh, much more crowded than usual because it's the fe uh, festival of Pentecost, 50 days, Pente like pentagram, pente, 50 days after Passover is the Feast of Pentecost and hundreds of thousands, one estimate says a million visitors would come to these festivals. The normal population of Jerusalem is in the tens of thousands, but here suddenly swelled and the camera shows us the crowds and the jostling and the food vendors and the smoke coming out of the charcoal fires and the synagogues and the Pharisees with their, with their long prayer shawls and the camera shows us what we're looking at. Jesus is ready here on 
the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, to unleash the church. Do you remember what he said? Uh, we heard it last week with Minister Jeff in chapter 1. Here's what he told his disciples, chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Those are his final words. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's what we see in chapter 2. And the camera's going around the city and in the street vendors and into the shops and many different languages being spoken. And it then zooms in on one particular building. As a matter of fact, uh, our camera must be on a drone because it flies into the window of this building. And we find ourselves in an upper room, a large room, maybe maybe a third or a quarter of the size of our Crossbridge uh, Auditorium. I've actually been in that room in Jerusalem, at least the, you know, the, the room traditionally identified as the upper room. It is stone. It has stone pillars. It is a large second-story upper room. And that's where our story takes place, there and just outside of there, perhaps in the streets. Now, what about the characters of the story? Well, the camera shows us 120 people gathered there in the upper room. Chapter 2, uh, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Actually, it doesn't say the upper room. It's probably where it was. Previously, they had been gathering in this upper room, and there's 120. That's the Christians, that's the body of disciples, 120, 50 days after Jesus died and then rose again shortly after that. There is Mary, the mother of Jesus. There is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I'm assuming they were disciples. They lived just a couple miles outside of town. And they were probably there with the 120. Maybe there were the two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus is a little village like eight miles away. Tradition says one of those two disciples was Luke. Maybe Luke was there. He wrote Luke and Acts. There's John Mark. His family actually owned that upper room. And there is Peter and the disciples. I wonder if if Nicodemus was there, if he had declared his allegiance to Jesus, and if he had stopped being a secret disciple. In any case, there's 120, they're in the upper room. But here, the camera shows us once again, outside there are all these visitors. It maybe have been a million people there in Jerusalem. And uh, our text uh, talks about all these people that have come from all over the Mediterranean world, verses uh, 9 and 10, chapter 2. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Phrygia 
and Pamphylia and all over the place. And uh, the, the author here, Luke, has uh, listed these places, generally speaking, from east to west. If you get out your Bible uh, dictionary and your map, you can see he's naming, and they're from all over the place. Maybe a million visitors. And the main character in our story is Peter. And the main events revolve around Peter and the crowd from all these different places. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, once again, verse 14 says, And Peter, standing with the eleven, the other eleven disciples, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. The camera now has a close-up on Peter. We've seen the setting, we've seen the characters, and then the action. The action is that the Holy Spirit, well, first of all, they're waiting. Jesus said to wait there in Jerusalem, chapter 1, verse 5. So they're waiting, they're praying, they're up there in the upper room. They're reading the scriptures and studying, talking to each other and supporting each other. What are we waiting for? When's Jesus going to fulfill his promise to send power and the Holy Spirit? And they are waiting. And then it happens on the day of Pentecost. There is a sound Verse 2, the sound as of a great rushing wind. It's not an actual wind, but it's the sound of a wind. It sounds like a windstorm, a hurricane, a tornado just outside that upper room. And there is fire. Fire descends, or at least the, the, the image of fire. Uh, I don't think they actually got burned, but uh, something like fire. And it says sort of like tongues of fire. I'm not sure what that is shaped like. Uh, uh, it says the King James Version says cloven tongues of fire. Uh, that probably is better translated. Uh, the fire was divided up, cloven like split. It was divided up among them. So fire went over here and fire went over there and fire went over there. Maybe you've seen some pictures of this in your Sunday school materials, little tongues of fire resting and residing and hovering over the 120. And the Holy Spirit came and he filled them and he gave them power and he gave them the gift of tongues. This was speaking in actual languages because these, these, these million visitors or this crowd of visitors, Parthians and you know, Elamites and all these people, they said, what's going on here? Every one of us is hearing these people in our own native language. Back then, uh, everybody was at least bilingual. Everybody could speak Greek because that's the lingua franca, the common language of the, the Roman world. But then you also had your own, um, your own native dialect. You know, these people from Cappadocia and all this, whatever languages they spoke. Here in Jerusalem, the people would have spoken Aramaic. That was their dialect, their common speech. The Jews would also have known Hebrew and presumably a lot of these people knew Hebrew also. That's like an older biblical language, uh, Aramaic kind of uh, evolved and grew out of Hebrew, and then they would have known Greek, so many people would have been trilingual, kind of like Crossbridge, right? <laughs> people know so many languages, but they said, everybody hears, uh, you know, these little local dialects, what is going on? Verse 6 says, 
they were bewildered. Verse 7 says they were amazed. Verse 7, they were astonished. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. <laughs> they said, what does this mean? And what happens next? Peter stands up and he preaches. He gives them the good news, the good announcement. The Greek word is euangelion. Angelion, we get our word angel, like messenger. You, you know, the prefix eu, E-U, it means good, like a euphemism, or does anyone out there play the euphonium? Isn't that an instrument, a good-sounding instrument? The euangelion, the good news, the good announcement, and he gave it to them. What is it composed of? Three things. Number one, it is composed of historical facts about Jesus. There was a guy named Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He went about doing good. He did miracles. He died a terrible death. The sun was darkened. Three days later, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. We just saw him you know, recently. I'm witness. I'm testifying. Number one, it, 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 it concerns historical facts. Number two, it concerns a theological interpretation of those facts. Okay, so he was born of a virgin. Okay, so what, what's that mean? So he did miracles, okay? So the sky was and the sun was darkened when he died. Okay, what's the significance? Theologically, we point out he is the son of God. He died for the sins of humanity. As Isaiah said, he bore our sins from his wounds. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but uh, our iniquity was laid on him. A theological uh, interpretation of these brute facts of history. So number one, historical facts. Number two, an interpretation of theology. And number three, a call to respond. You might call it the application of the sermon. Repent and believe the good news. That's what Peter does. That's what you and I do. That's what Crossbridge stands for. The euangelion, preach the good news, share the good news, witness to it. Let the whole world hear it. Let me show you this, uh, the, these, these three components in, uh, in chapter 2. Chapter uh, 2, 22 through 24, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, historical facts, you know, he's from Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Well, Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Then verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's giving us historical facts. He did signs and wonders. He came from a town called Nazareth. Okay, here's the interpretation. 
God attested to him. God put a stamp of approval on him by those signs and wonders. He is Lord. He is God himself, and he is Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. That's the significance of these historical facts. And then what about the, uh, the application, the call to repentance? Verses uh, 38 and, and 40. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves. That's the application. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now the church is composed of 3,120. And that is what happened on the day of Pentecost. We've seen the setting. We've seen the various characters involved. We've seen a sketch of the events. Now, let us reflect on the theology. Well, this passage is, uh, like so much in the book of Acts, is really imbued with all sorts of theological significances. Just think about this. You have uh, a touching on the subject of God's sovereign plan with human will. Do you know what I'm saying? God determined, he predetermined, this was his plan from the beginning that Jesus was, would die, and he used... Human hands, you crucified, lawless men. And so we have touching on this great uh, mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and they're both in here. It's not the main theology of, your, of our passage, but it, it touches on that. How about the theological significance of baptism? What does it mean? He says, be baptized, uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Does that mean that we're saved by doing a good work? Well, other places uh, don't indicate that. For example, John 3.16, whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. But here, what's the significance of baptism? And then there's uh, visions and dreams. Uh, Peter quotes from Joel, uh, young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams and the Holy Spirit will be poured out. So it touches on a theology of vision and dreams. And then, of course, there's tongues. This is one of the main passages on the, the gift of speaking in tongues. Here, it's not some kind of prayer language. Uh, which your mind doesn't even comprehend. Here it's an actual language given for the purpose of witnessing to all these, you know, local people. And it was a sign that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And then there's judgment. He talks about the, uh, the moon will be turned to blood and the earth will shake, fulfilling Joel's property, uh, prophecy. So there's judgment also. My point is, there are all kinds of things going on here in Acts chapter 2. But can we focus on the primary theology? What is, what is the author trying to show us? Why is this chapter in the Bible? Primarily, what the camera is focusing on is the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus prophesied that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. We read about that in chapter 1, and now here it is. The Old Testament prophesied 
that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit would occur here in these last days. For example, Joel, he quotes from Joel, Ezekiel uh, 39, 29 talks about the pouring out of the Spirit. Isaiah 32, 15 talks about the pouring out of the Spirit. And so we are seeing what was promised and prophesied for thousands of years actually occurring here at the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit was promised by John the Baptist. Do you remember? He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here it's happening. Immersed, uh, saturated in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit comes upon them and anoints them, baptized, anointed, and we're seeing it happen. The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus Luke 24, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's what's happening. Notice that the Holy Spirit removes distinctions here in the church of caste, class, ethnicity, even gender, the Holy Spirit will come upon men and women. I don't mean completely removing these distinctions, but in the church, we are one. We're not placed into the body of Christ because of a certain ethnicity or a certain you know, socioeconomic caste, slaves, free, everybody. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us one body. And these other considerations are secondary. The Holy Spirit also gives power. Maybe that's the main lesson here. Maybe that's the primary teaching that Luke wants to show us under the inspiration of the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, as we see here, is for special tasks, a special anointing. In this case, witnessing, proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. What were the mighty deeds of God? Probably referring to Jesus, how he was born of a virgin and went about doing miracles and then he died on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Three days later, he rose again. The mighty deeds of God, he ascended into heaven on high and they were able to witness and spread that good word, that euangelion, anointed and functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, God extends salvation around the world. Here, at the beginning, around the Mediterranean world. But you know, this was just the beginning. It went east all the way to India. It went south into Africa. It went northwest into Europe. All the way to Rome, all the way beyond to Spain. And we're seeing it happen here. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is the age of the Spirit. Some people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Spirit. He, in this age, seals. That's like a stamp of authenticity. He baptizes. He fills. He gives gifts. He leads. He brings all things to our remembrance. He is another comforter and advocate we have with the Father. Of course, we can resist the Spirit, can't we? We can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. But this is the age of the Spirit, and you and I are included in this story. This is our beginning.
This is how it all happened. So there's some theology about the spirit. Now, can I call your attention to another uh, theological emphasis? Uh, the camera wants to focus on something else, and it is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Did you know that Jesus is the subject of the New Testament? The word Jesus is used 917 times. The word Christ is used 529 times. How many times is the word Peter used? He's like a main figure in the New Testament, including this story, 156. And Paul, another main figure, 158. The New Testament is about Jesus, and Peter is preaching about Jesus. Verse 22 says he was attested to by God with all these miracles he did. That means God publicly endorsed him. It's like when a candidate uh, like uh, an outgoing, let's say an outgoing president uh, endorses, publicly attests to who he hopes will be his successor. I want you to vote for that person. And God attested to and endorsed. Or maybe it's like going to the new car show and they unveil, they display publicly the new car and they display its glory. Jesus was publicly attested to by God. The Old Testament refers to him. Peter quotes from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, and he says it's not actually talking about David, it's talking about Jesus. And he says that his death on the cross was the atonement for the deliverance of humanity and the expulsion of their sins. This was God's sovereign plan. All right, let's bring it down now setting, uh, characters, historical events, the theology of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Now, finally, application. Okay, so what? What do we do with this? This knowledge of the Holy Spirit, he fills and he gives power and he baptizes and all. This knowledge about Jesus who died for our sins. Can I suggest two applications? Number one, repent and believe. That's a message for us, just like it was for them. And if you have never done that, this word is timely. This word is for you. To repent means to turn, to say, man, I'm in going the wrong direction. I want to go God's direction, and I believe in him, and I want to be baptized in him. Repentance is all the way through the message of Jesus. Matthew 3, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 9, I have come to call sinners to repentance. Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the good news, the euangelion. Luke chapter 6, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Acts chapter 3, coming up next week or the week after that, repent and be converted. And Acts chapter 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And so that's what we want to take to heart also. We do that initially when we come to faith in Jesus, when we're born again. But our lives are also alive, uh, lives of repentance, aren't they? As we are conformed to the image of Christ, as he sanctifies us, as he continues to save us, repent Believe, and if you have not been baptized, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Second application. 
boldness, power. The Holy Spirit baptizes us, gives us a special anointing here for the purpose of witnessing. And so let us pray. Let us pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, especially in regard to the euangelion, sharing it with our neighbors, our family, our coworkers. I know you have to be careful. There's appropriateness. There's the right timing. But let us pray for boldness. Hey, Jerusalem was a hostile place. Fifty days before this, they had crucified Jesus. And the opposition is, is, we'll see it. It's coming here in the next chapters. But they had boldness and joy in proclaiming the good news. So may the Lord give you a spirit of boldness. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sober mind. May the Lord give us that kind of anointing, baptizing power from the Holy Spirit. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for Crossbridge. A joyful, bold, uh, powerful declaration of the facts of history about Jesus, the theological significance, and then a call to, uh, call to respond, the application. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, give us power through your Spirit. Give us boldness. Give us the right words. Please unleash us through Christ our Lord. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No none go with me. Still I will Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning
have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We're looking forward to the day when we can celebrate communion together in person with real bread and wine. But for now, we are just pausing to remember, to meditate on him, honor him in our hearts. And so take a moment to remember that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. He also took wine and poured it out, distributed it. He said, take, drink. This is my blood poured out for you, for the remission of sins. With this ceremony, I'm instituting a new covenant. And so remember him and remember that he will come back and take us to be with him where we will celebrate a real marriage feast with him one day. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we remember your son, Jesus. We remember how he gave his cheek to the smiters and his back to the whip. We remember how his blood was poured out for us. And we also remember that he rose again from the dead. And if we believe in him, we will rise also. Help us to, in hope and faith, cling to you, looking forward to that great day. Through Christ our Lord, amen.